Thanks, team, for leading us. It's a joy. I'm Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here, along with Adam, if we haven't met yet. Kids, you can go ahead and head downstairs for kids' ministry. And for those of you that have to stay up here with me, go ahead and grab some scripture. You can pull it up on the Bible app if you like, or you can grab a hard copy around you. Turn to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Today we get to start a series in amazing book of Ruth, just four little chapters of richness. It's kind of toward the beginning of the scriptures. And maybe you've never studied the book of Ruth or even heard a sermon series on Ruth and so wanted to give uh, just a few minutes in intro to the book of Ruth and then as Adam and I lead you guys uh, each week, uh, we're going to take about a chapter a week and so uh, today and then the next three weeks we'll be in this book of Ruth and it's worth asking since maybe some of you have not read Ruth or haven't spent a lot of time in Ruth. We talk about when we spend time in some of these books in the Old Testament, uh, the pages in our Bibles may be pretty pristine and not wrinkled or folded, no smudges and no underlines as maybe toward the New Testament of your scriptures. And so when we cover a narrative section in the Old Testament like Ruth that maybe we haven't spent a lot of time in, it's worth pointing out, oh, why, why would we take time in this book of Ruth? I mean, we could have the answer, which is valid, then say, well, uh, all scriptures God breathed, that we're going to spend time in all the scriptures, uh, which that's true, but maybe a little more unpacking for why we would take time in the book of Ruth and whether the book of Ruth might be for you or not. Well, for starters, we read Ruth because we need to see the larger story of God's redeeming grace. Why do we read the book of Ruth? Well, because we need to see the larger story of God's redeeming grace. That's really what the story of the Bible is all about, God's redemption of mankind. In the big picture, here's what that looks like. Here's how that goes, the story of Scripture. And we often like to go back to this because uh, it's not talked about in a lot of maybe uh, different uh, contexts like this. So what is the overall story of the Scriptures? Well, in the beginning, of course, you have creation right off the bat, right? And then not very long after that, you have the fall. So you have creation, and then you have the fall. And as Adam mentioned recently, very quickly in the scriptures, you have good news. You have the proto-evangelion, which means the first gospel. It's in Genesis chapter 3. It foreshadows the salvation that will come through Christ, the redemption to come through Christ, who would be born in the bloodline of King David, which that'll hold significance in Ruth as well. And so the story of the scriptures is about God's grace and the coming redemption of mankind through Christ, creation, fall, and then the coming redemption through Christ. One author calls the Bible a unified book of redemptive history of which Christ is the hero. And if you don't have very much biblical background, you may 
think back on that and refer back to that as you read the scriptures and know what what really am I reading in context well it's it's a story of redemptive history of which Jesus is the hero and Ruth furthers this story of redemption this theme of redemption and so if you understand your need for redemption if you've felt that in the past or feel that presently right now this book is for you Ruth is the only Old Testament book named after a non-Israelite. And so if you find yourself at this current place in life, maybe feeling like an outsider, the book of Ruth is for you. The book of Ruth is an epic love story. And so there was some thought when, when we thought, well, hey, let's, what if we did Ruth Uh, this year, well, what better time to do Ruth than the month of February, right? And so, by the way, Valentine's Day is coming. People have different views on that, right? Whether it's manufactured by all the card companies to get you to spend money or whether it's an opportunity to really show your love to folks. Different ends of the spectrum there. But the book of Ruth is an epic love story and not really like the Hallmark kind of love story, but something much deeper. It includes all the elements, grief, loyalty, compassion, suspense, redemption. So if you love a good story, then the book of Ruth is for you. While Ruth is an epic narrative, it's interesting to note that there are no miracles in Ruth. As if we were studying through the book of Exodus or other parts of the scripture where we'd see lots of Miracles, God moving through lots of miraculous circumstance and lots of, uh, of things that go against the laws of nature. There are really no miracles in Ruth in that sense. And when we think of God moving in our lives or the lives of others, we often think of and pray toward the miraculous. God, heal this woman. God, would you do something miraculous in this person's Life, God, would you part the waters here? God, would you do something spectacular in my life? And while he can and does move through the miraculous, have you considered the possibility that maybe the most common way he works and moves is through the ordinary and seemingly insignificant moments of our lives? And so if you would say you'd like to see examples of how God works out His perfect will in the seemingly mundane things of our lives, then the book of Ruth is for you. If you'd like to have the Lord deepen your trust in His sovereignty and His perfect will, regardless of what your circumstance is, then maybe the book of Ruth is just what you need. And so, here's the story of Ruth, this epic unfolding of God's graceful redemption. That's not how the story starts. Let's dive in. Here are the characters that you're going to see very quickly. We're introduced to an Israelite family from Bethlehem. You have a man named Elimelech, and he has a wife named Naomi, and they have two sons, Malon and Kilion, and the narrative will unfold that they each, these two sons, marry Moabite women who would be Ruth and Orpah, and so think through this family and the way they will experience life very deeply 
and very painfully actually in this first chapter here, even in the first few verses. And so look at Ruth chapter 1 in the scriptures and we'll read uh, 1 through 5 in this first section. I'm going to stop a few times and make sure we're all on the same page with a few things. Verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there's the context of what this, where this story is going to happen. If you guys were here for our series in Judges, this may evoke some memory for you of, of where this falls in history. And if you have forgotten what Judges is about, then uh, the book before Ruth is Judges. And so you can look at the last verse in the book of Judges right there in your scriptures, and it'll give a good context for what this, where this story takes place and what things were like. Uh, the last verse in Judges, verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes which is grounds for terrible stuff right when you read through Judges it's really dark it was interesting to preach through the whole book uh, and see the darkness there in the book of Judges and so bad stuff's going on in the promised land among the people of God in this period and so continue to read with me in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn or spend some time in the country of Moab he and his wife and his two sons the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion they were if it I was stumbling over this word all week when I was reading it. Ephathracites, that's not right, but we'll roll with it. From Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. And so you have this famine, and that's, that serves to set the stage again for what we're looking at here. And I don't think many of us probably understand famine Famine does not mean that eggs are really expensive. <laughs> That's not what famine means. In the grocery store over the holidays, when we have lots of people from Texas come up, the section where the Diet Dr. Pepper belongs <laughs> is empty. That's not famine, right? It's borderline for me. But this was a day and age where you didn't just go to the store and stock up or wait a couple of days till the truck came up from Denver. Famine means not enough food for everybody to eat. It was a trying time. And I just wonder if we can imagine there not being enough food in our valley for you and if you have a family for you and your family. To the point where you begin to think we may have to move somewhere else. We may have to live some, we may not be able to live in this valley because there's not enough food. And you begin to contemplate the reality of moving somewhere less desirable than where you live in order just to find food. And in my head, I was playing this out like we live in a pretty desirable place. And I was like, well, what if I had to move somewhere less desirable so that there was food? What if I had to move to, I don't know, Pueblo? Fear from Pueblo, sorry. 
You ever been to a town called Lahana, Colorado? I'm sure it's great for some people. I've been through there a few times. Thank you, Lord, that I don't live in Lahana. But what if that was the scenario, right? Where there wasn't enough food in this valley and you had to move somewhere else just to get food for you and your family. The irony of the famine, Bethlehem means house of bread. There's no bread in the house of bread, likely due to the disobedience of God's people. Again, footnote, time of the judges. Moab, where they went, they were enemies of the Israelites. If you read back through Judges and other parts of the Old Testament, you'll see this. You would only go to Moab if things were really bad in Bethlehem. Things really turn dark here in this next section of verses. Verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, what? Died. And we can just read right through that stuff because the scriptures read right through. It's a very factual section of scripture. There's not a lot of feeling here, but we can put skin on these people and understand that Elimelech died, that Naomi had to bury him. Things get worse, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. With commentators are kind of split on this. That may have been seen as even a more of a negative thing that her sons married people that were in a, a people group that were enemies of God's people. They took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And so when it says in the beginning that they sojourned to Moab, uh, some of your versions will say they went there for a little while. 10 years is not a little while, right? They ended up having to stay there longer or they ended up deciding to stay there much longer than they intended. Verse five, in both Malon and Kilion, what? Died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So at this point, Naomi has moved out of the promised land. She's buried her husband, Elimelech. She's buried her two sons, Malon and Kilion, and finds herself in a highly vulnerable position with no male to take care of her. And if you're a female and you kind of squirm at the thought of that, know that culture was really different then. If you were a woman without a man to protect you and provide financially for you, then you were in deep trouble. It also meant your family line would not continue, which would have been even more trouble and seen as a sign of shame that your family line would end. And as we consider Ruth, she's coming on the scene here in a minute. But when we look back at this family and what they've been through, when you see that they left the promised land, kind of launching out to see if maybe they could find a better life somewhere else. They left God's promised land in hopes of finding a better life, and I wonder, does that sound like anyone's story? And you're like, well, no, I haven't experienced famine, and I haven't left anywhere to try to find food, but maybe on a deeper level, maybe it does sound like some of our story. Maybe it describes a season of your life. Maybe it describes some choices you've made in the past, maybe even recent past. Get this, where you departed from God and his ways and struck out on your own, thinking things would be better. Thinking your way 
might be better. And at first, maybe your hunger was satisfied, so to speak. But in the end, your departure from Him left you broken and in desperate need. I think all of us can identify with that in, on some level. And if you would say, yeah, I, I've been there or I am there now, then maybe the book of Ruth is for you. Listen to verse 6. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. Get this, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Maybe from a distant land where we've roamed, we're hearing this message this morning. The Lord's presence is among his people. He cares. He provides. And maybe you begin to wonder, maybe it's time to come home. Maybe there's hope and redemption even for me. Let's keep reading. Verses 7 and 8. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So they've started off on this journey and Naomi stops and says, girls, you do not need to go with me. May the Lord deal kindly with you. May the Lord deal kindly with you. See, this is important. Naomi recognizes that the Lord is the source for loving kindness. That's what Naomi is saying here. That's what she's confessing. May the Lord deal kindly with you. May the Lord show you loving kindness. Do you see what she's confessing? That the Lord is the source of loving kindness. Even though she's walked through some dark stuff, she's pointing back and saying, loving kindness? Oh, that comes from the Lord. In the original language, the word for right there, may the Lord deal kindly with you, is hesed, and it means a steadfast or committed loving kindness. A steadfast or committed loving kindness. So she's looking at these ladies and saying, may the Lord deal kindly with you because that's where a steadfast loving kindness comes from. He's the source of that loving kindness. There's really no Greek or English word that captures this word that's in the scriptures here, but think of hesed as a love that's evidenced by expressed grace and mercy. A love that's, expre- that's evidenced by expressed grace and mercy or loving kindness. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 9. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. It's kind of like a wailing kind of cry. It's not a sniffling kind of cry this is not one tear rolls down your cheek this is an agony kind of cry and again such darkness and agony connected with this time of goodbye I hate goodbyes I I I hate them I'm terrible with them I don't like them and that's why there was a lot even 
uh, as my oldest went off to college this last fall, that a lot of emotion was uh, what came came alive in me that I hadn't felt in a while because of because of the goodbye, because of a new stage in life. This goodbye here was particularly difficult based on how much life and pain these women had shared, right? That's what makes goodbyes hard is when you shared a deep amount of life with someone and then you have to say goodbye. This would have likely been an as long as we live kind of goodbye. Again, more pain and darkness. Verses 10 through 13. I'll read this section and then I'm gonna have you guys read the next section. So hold on there, but for verse 10. And they said to her, this is, this is Ruth and Orpah saying to Naomi, they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, what would you therefore, uh, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. This section can be really confusing (laughs) because we don't understand the liberate law or the custom that was practiced in those days and it was a practice that was designed to ensure protection and provision for a woman if her husband died. And so if you were a woman and your husband died, the custom would be that your brother-in-law or your husband's brother would take you on in marriage so that you would be protected and provided for. And so what Naomi is saying here is, girls, I don't have any more sons. And even if I got married tonight and got pregnant tonight and had a son in nine months, you're not going to wait on this boy to grow up. And if you did, he'd be too young. It's hopeless for you to hang out with me, Naomi. Go back that you might find husbands from another family line, so to speak. So that's what's going on here. And that's why Naomi is saying, go back home. It's hopeless to be with me. And you really begin to see the hopelessness here in Naomi. She's saying, I'm not going to have any more sons to marry you. And if I did, they'd be too young for you to wait on them. Go back home. Go back to Moab, your country. Verses 14 through 18, I'm going to have you read this with some people around you just to break up our time a little bit. Verse 14, um, you can turn in with some people around you, to a group of two or three. Someone read this out loud, verses 14 through 18. If you're in a group of real fast readers and you finish reading and there are people around you still reading, then maybe someone point out something that's interesting that you saw there and then we'll regroup here in just a few moments. Ready, go.
Okay, let's go ahead and regroup here. What character and love from Ruth displayed to her mother-in-law, right? Amazing. This is the point of the story where Ruth really begins to take front and center stage in their narrative. This shift is made. See, Naomi doesn't see it yet, but things are beginning to shift for her. Things are beginning to turn for her here with Ruth's commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi. This is the beginning of God's redemption for Naomi. This is where it starts here. We've had a lot of darkness, and we'll talk more about that in a second, but this is where we begin to sense a shift in the story, the beginning of God's redemption for Naomi. And again, maybe we haven't seen yet the ways the Lord is moving in our lives. Either to bring us to a point of salvation through Christ, or in a sense to bring us back to Him. But the way the Lord is moving in what is seemingly a normal or mundane kind of part of the story, that redemption is beginning to turn. For some of you, this may have seemed like a somewhat insignificant decision to be here with us even today in this service. Like you happen to wake up on time. Uh, or uh, someone called you or texted you or your spouse was like, hey, remember church this morning? Whatever it is, you're here in, in what may seem like an insignificant moment. But could it be that the Lord is using this moment to draw you toward himself, of which you may have been unaware of even until now? The Lord uses the seemingly insignificant and mundane stuff to point us to redemption or to point us to the way back home. Well, I think it's interesting what you read there at the end of verse 18 when Naomi saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her. She said no more. And I don't know if she didn't say anything more about trying to get Ruth to go back home. I don't know if they just didn't talk about anything but you get the impression that the rest of the journey was pretty quiet on the way back to Bethlehem as the reality began to sink in for both of them. Well, they get back to Bethlehem, where again, Naomi is from, Ruth's from Moab, but they get back to Bethlehem and people begin to recognize Naomi and she fills them in on all the darkness that's happened since she and her family's been gone this 10 years. Uh, and they, as Naomi uh, began to see people that she recognized, and as people began to recognize her, they may have asked, where's Elimelech? Well, sorry to say he passed away in Moab. And, and you can begin to get an impression of what the darkness was like as she had to begin to share with everyone that she knew before the darkness that she had encountered. Hey, where are the boys? Malon and Kilion, where are they? They must, they must be huge by now. They died too. They're buried in Moab too. And this is all setting the scene for the beautiful redemption that is coming for Naomi and Ruth. See, these women have indeed walked through some dark stuff 
even as many of us have, but there's hope yet. And that's even the message that some of you are here for today. There's hope. There's hope yet. When I realized that Julie and I were to be married, I was living in Breckenridge. She was in Arkansas. And I began to process just how much a ring was going to be. And I talked to a jeweler at the time that lived in Dallas. And what this jeweler, I don't even know if he's still around, if he still does this, but uh, he knew ministers starting out uh, really had a hard time uh, making the ends meet. And he would give a discount and do some, uh, some different kind of favors for people, young guys that were in ministry that were trying to buy a wedding ring. And so um, I talked to this guy on the phone uh, from Breckenridge to Dallas and told him uh, kind of what I was looking for. And he said, well, uh, and I, I don't know anything about diamonds, anything at this point. I'm just asking this to what kind of cut do you want? I'm like, uh, sharp one? I don't, I don't. <laughs> cut uh, you cut that diamonds are cut oh okay uh, what kind of cut do you want and so he sent me uh, three diamonds in the mail and which was crazy so he uh, he began to say well I've got three diamonds that I think will fit what you're looking for I'm just going to put them in the mail and you can get them and you can look at them and then decide which of the three diamonds you want uh, mail back the three diamonds he was clear to say that part Mail back the three diamonds, and then I'll put the one that you want in the setting uh, and, and, and with the cut that you want in the ring. I was like, okay. And so I remember going to the post office in Breckenridge and opening the, the package. And I didn't open it in the post office, of course. Like, oh, goodness. I waited until I could sit down. And I opened the package, and this guy had uh, put um, uh, like uh, some tweezer kind of tools uh, with a magnifying glass so you could see uh, different kind of imperfections in each diamond. Very rarely do you have a completely perfect diamond. They're, they're rated by the in, uh, inclusions, I think they call them. Uh, if that's right, you can correct me after the service. Uh, but they have different kind of imperfections, essentially. And so you look at those. And so one of the key things he included in the packet was a piece of black felt cloth. And I didn't know the importance of the black felt cloth because I'm looking at these diamonds uh, in my little apartment in Breckenridge and kind of examining them. I, I felt really smart because I had this magnifying glass and, and um, my roommate walked in and he was like, what are you doing? I'm examining diamonds. Leave me alone. <laughs> but the black cloth was key. See, I knew diamonds were brilliant and beautiful but when I put them on that black felt, wow, another level. And if you go to a jewelry store anywhere in the mall or wherever, and you want to see some jewelry or some rings, especially diamonds, they'll, they'll have a black felt cloth that they put them on. That's on purpose. See, before we can see the true beauty of our redemption, we have to walk into the shadows. We have to see and understand the depths of the darkness before we can grasp the enormity and beauty of the light. And I think that's what's going on here in Ruth chapter 1. As we see all this darkness, as we see all that these, this family is walking through, especially when you consider Naomi, 
We haven't even really talked a whole lot about Ruth, but she lost her husband as well and is now journeying to what would be for her a foreign land. See, in Ruth, if we don't see the depth of darkness in chapter 1, then the, the redemption coming won't make much sense. And so it is with us. When we think about our redemption, when we think about the redemption that we can experience through Christ like a diamond that's brilliant, it's hard to see the brilliance of that diamond unless you understand the darkness that each of us walk in outside of Christ. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, again, darkness, black cloth, remember this, while we were Sinners lost in darkness, enemies of him, at our lowest, Christ died for us. It's hard to see the brilliance of the Christ died for us if you don't understand that other part and are reminded of that other part while we were sinners. Lost in darkness, enemies of him, at our lowest. In Ephesians 2, although you weren't, won't find the word said because again, it's a different language, Old Testament to New Testament, you won't find the word has said in Ephesians 2, but conceptually it's there. It's the same concept, an idea. God's loving kindness expressed in mercy and grace. Remember, that's has said. God's loving kindness expressed in, in mercy and grace being shown. It says this, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. So church, may we look at the darkness in chapter one of Ruth's story and connect it to the darkness in our own lives outside of Christ. See, we're not necessarily speaking of dark or difficult circumstances at this point but of our spiritual darkness without Christ. And get this, through the cross, He brings us out of darkness. And through His resurrection, He brings us into the light of life. And when we think about what we have seen so far in Ruth and what we're gonna continue to see as we see redemption unfold, don't forget the darkness that we've seen in chapter one. And if you would say today, well, I've been in Christ a long time. I've been in relationship with Him a long time. Maybe that longevity of your relationship with Him, maybe you've forgotten the brilliance that is redemption. The darkness from which you came. What redemption we can find through Christ. This makes me excited to see together the next three weeks how God's redemption will unfold for Naomi and Ruth and how it foreshadows our redemption through Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we come to you really all over the map here in this room. Some of us for maybe the first time today understanding the brilliance of redemption that comes through you, Jesus. Oh, we understand the darkness and our great need, but maybe we haven't understood the hope, Jesus, that there is in you. The redemption that comes in you, through you. 
And Lord, I pray that this would be maybe a threshold day for some of us that this is when we step over the threshold into relationship with you, into life. Jesus, we thank you for bringing us out of the darkness through your death on the cross and bringing us into life and light through your resurrection, Jesus, you in us, hope of glory. Lord, maybe for some of us, we've been your child by grace through faith for a while now. And maybe we've forgotten the brilliance of the diamond that is our redemption. Maybe we've forgotten the darkness from which we came. Life without you. So Lord, I pray that as we continue the next three weeks in Ruth, Lord, would you do something in us that's unexpected? Lord, even in the course of today, in seemingly insignificant and mundane, maybe even going through the motions time that we gather here on a Sunday morning, Lord, that you're up to something that really is miraculous just through the mundane and insignificant stuff. Lord, we thank you for the brilliance of the redemption that comes through you, Jesus. We thank you for your body broken, your blood shed for us. We thank you for your resurrection. And even as we eat and drink and sing together, Lord, would you solidify the things that you've spoken into our lives this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen.